Jesus, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for these who've come today following in believers' baptism. God, I pray for those who still need to come to be baptized. I pray for those who need to come to know Christ, to recognize that they are sinners and they cannot save themselves, but that you are good and gracious, God, and that you've supplied a way to bridge the gap, to cover their sin. And that's through the person of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you draw men and women and boys and girls to your to yourself today. Lord, I thank you for the men of Nehemiah, and I thank you for the testimony that they will give. Lord, I thank you for those who are out in this audience, Father, who, who need your assistance, who need your help, who, Lord, might be inspired, who might be convicted by the word that is shared today. I pray that you would use them, you would use me, you would use your word to draw people to you, to bring about healing, to bring about salvation, and to bring about transformation. And, Lord, we will we'll give you the glory. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 today. And a couple of things. Of course, the men of Nehemiah are here. You may not be familiar with them, but they're going to be up here in just a moment. And if you're interested in being a part of their ministry and helping and serving, we've got some uh, brochures out there and we've got a tent outside. You can come by and get more information. We'd love for you to plug in and be a part uh, of this great ministry. Uh, also, Feed the Hunger, you heard about that, uh, and uh, that's where we're going to pack nearly 300,000 meals, and matter of fact, we're going to invite, we're inviting the men of Nehemiah to come help us pack. We need 1,400 people to come pack, and here's what I want to challenge some of you to do. I want to challenge some of you, uh, it's 27 cents a meal, uh, and I bet you these guys can pack a lot of meals, and so I want to challenge you to pay for some of the meals that they'd pack. Some of these, uh, we're going to let them take, some of these going to go in, into the Dallas food banks and the local food banks, and a lot of this is going to Haiti, uh, where, uh, where children only get one meal a day. This is it. And so uh, we're grateful for that opportunity. So we want you to be a part of it. Pray about how God's going to use you uh, for Feed the Hunger. Information's outside. If you've got children, you have to come, all right? If not, they'll grow up entitled and think that you owe them. Remember, I, gave you, I, I told you right up here, right up front. This won't fix it, but it won't help it when you skip stuff like this, I promise, all right? That's your pastor. God bless you. Glad you came today. (laughs) Ebola. Ebola. Everybody's talking about Ebola. And they want to know, how do I get away from Ebola? How do I I rid myself? How do I make sure that that's covered, that I'm covered and I'm taken care of? So I went to the CDC website, and I read it, and this is what it said about how not to get Ebola. Wash your hands frequently. Avoid contact with blood or bodily fluids of people that are sick. Do not handle items that have blood or bodily fluids on it from people that are sick. Do not touch dead bodies that have Ebola. (laughs) I don't know that that was a necessary uh, request, but nevertheless. How about this one? Do not touch bats, not baseball bats. Do not touch bats or animals that suck blood from humans or animals. And do not eat those bats either. I didn't know that was a problem. I'm from Louisiana. It's not a problem there. And avoid facilities in West Africa where Ebola has been prevalent. That's what we got on avoiding Ebola. Truth of it is... Everybody on the earth is trying to figure out how to deal with their sin. They don't know that that's what it is, but they want to know, how do I have a relationship with God? How can I be assured of a life after this? 
at the end of the day, what do I do about my sin? They don't know that's what it is, but I need to work my way, earn my way. Jesus said he wants us to experience the kingdom of God right here on earth. That's what the king's speech is about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. But it's interesting, mankind has come up with different methods, different religious principles, avenues on how to get to God and how to be found right before God. Of course, Islam has the five pillars. They have the declaration of faith. Uh, There is but one God, and he is Allah, and his prophet is Muhammad. And they recite that each day, and there's obligatory prayer five times a day. There's compulsory giving. There's fasting for the month of Ramadan. And there's a pilgrimage to Mecca, all hoping that you will be found worthy before God. Buddhism has the eightfold path, the right understanding. You must have the right understanding, the right thoughts, the right speech, the right actions, the right livelihood, the right effort, the right mindfulness, and the right concentration so that you might experience nirvana where you are desireless and you forget all things and you become one with the nature in the world. That was a lot of right stuff, too. That seems very hard. The ancient principles of Judaism, when God chose his people, they were the chosen people. They were to dwell within the holy land that was given to them. They were monotheists. That meant they believed in one God. From Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord God is one, and you shall love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. There's the law, and there was the Davidic dynasty that David's dynasty, David's family, David's reign would last forever. And then the temple in which you would go to worship and present your sacrifices so that you may be made right and holy before God. And then when that wasn't occurring, that God would raise up a Messiah, a Messiah who would come in and and reestablish the nation and lead the people back to God. And then there is what we call the pillar of Christianity called the gospel. What is the gospel? That we're all sinners. We're all much worse than we think we are. None of us are that good. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And we can't earn our way. We can't have eight right things that we do. There aren't five steps that we take. It's just a recognition that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. But the good news is we are more loved We are more desired than we ever could have hoped or imagined by God Almighty. So he has provided a way through the person of Jesus Christ. He has covered our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news. And it is incumbent upon us to receive by grace through faith the gift of salvation. That is the story and the pillar of Christianity. The early church, dealing with lots of problems, put... Emphasis on the gospel and also on learning the scripture because there were a lot of people trying to rip Christianity off because they saw the transformation. They saw how it was transforming their culture. And right belief became important and emphasis on Christian mystery, two of those which primary would be baptism and communion and Christian morality. And the Protestant Reformation came about because a lot of folks in the church had lost its way and so they came and They established these theological principles of sola scriptura, that scripture is the final authority for God's will and revelation. And 
the grace of God alone and solo fide of faith alone that we're justified by. Solo Christus, that is by Christ. He is God in the flesh and salvation only comes through him in sola de gloria, which means for God's glory alone, not for the church, not for angels, for saints or prophets, but for God alone. But what did Jesus teach us about the kingdom life? We talked last week about the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does it look like to experience the kingdom of God here on earth? What does Jesus tell us? And that's what he's teaching us in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. He wants us to experience the kingdom here on earth. He wants us to, for it to be like it was supposed to be when he created mankind and how our ethic and how our attitude and our spirit will be when we're with him one day. But he's not content to just say, one day, you'll get it. He's asking us to begin now. And Jesus has some difficult teachings. And in these chapters, he, start, he gives us the antithesis of the opposite, and we see that. And he gives us the attitude, and he gives us the actions. The antithesis is, he would say, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. Don't attack them. Don't go after them. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. He gives the antithesis of what was being taught. And he gives the right attitude as we'll see in our text here. And he gives the action. We're going to see three spiritual disciplines, three acts of devotion that Jesus teaches here. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the first verse. And you see, he starts off by saying, Beware of practicing your piety or your righteousness or your devotion before others that you may be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus talks about the attitude. He's saying we're going to practice these acts of devotion, these disciplines, these acts of righteousness but you're going to do it because you love me and because you want to know me, because you want to grow and you want to experience the kingdom of God here upon earth, not simply to be seen. So Jesus says this over and over again. He says, so when? Giving us the understanding that these things are to happen. They're not an option. They're not things we should consider. He said, when they happen, in no way is he negating them. So in verse 2 he says, so whenever you give alms. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you they have received their reward. <clears throat> now I was in a church one time, wasn't this church of course, um, where I remember this couple were giving a, a nice gift, a very expensive, something very expensive. And they said, can we put, have our name put in the bulletin? And we said, no, we don't really do that. And they go, you know, we think you would get more if you would simply, this just, it's just, just aggravating. I mean, we've got, we make quite a sacrifice, and you're not even going to put our name here. I wanted to read this text right here. I wanted to go. And Jesus said, whenever you give, do not sound the trumpet. And the bulletin would be our trumpet today, or a brick on the wall, or whatever it is that we want to do. <clears throat> and Jesus said, you know what, if you do that, that's your reward. That's it. You weren't doing it for me to begin with. That was all about you. I, I, you know, I was in Israel back in May. My wife and I were in Israel, and uh, it was interesting. 
you know, outside the temple, they had these big receptacles. And in Jesus' day, they had these big receptacles where people would put money in them, which was fine. As you'd walk in the temple, you'd do your gifts, just like we have some offering boxes on the back. You can put them in there. But these big ones, they were made out of metal. And most of the money, of course, was metal, made out of metal. And so it would clang. And, and uh, some, there were even certain times uh, of the year where they would blow a big horn and they would put the receptacles outside and they'd blow this horn where everybody would hear it. And, and, and people would come and they would put their money in there. But it's interesting, Jesus is, in, Matt, in the book of Gospel of Luke, he's talking about it's one of those times, apparently, and the receptacle's out, people are putting money out, and there were smaller receptacles for smaller amounts, and there's probably one way off to the side, and a woman comes, comes in, and she puts uh, just two little mites in there. Now, a mite is like a little rock. I had a chance to see one. It's, uh, sometimes you see these widow mite necklaces, and they all shine. That's not what a mite looks like. It looks like a little piece of rock. It looks like nothing. And so it wasn't worth anything, really, hardly. And so she puts that in there. No clanging, no noise. And everybody's over here watching the big one. They're watching the clanging, ching, clang, clang, clang. And Jesus said, see what happened? And they're all looking because um, that woman gave more than anybody. What? Did you hear how much that, did you hear how much jack that guy put in there? That must have been like a whole year's salary that he put in there. And Jesus said, uh, No. Over here, you didn't notice it. It was being done without fanfare. It was being done for me, and it was all she had. And she put it in, and she walked away. And Jesus is teaching us that there's the reward. There's the one that's considered great in heaven. The one who had nothing and gave of the little that she had. And the one who gave to be seen by men, that's it. Matter of fact, it's interesting Jesus talks about hypocrisy here, and we always have what we think is hypocrisy, and it's whatever we don't do. You know what I mean? Whatever I don't do, you know, if I don't gossip, then it's people who gossip, they're hypocrites. And, you know, if, if I don't, uh, you know, if I'm faithful to my spouse and somebody else not there, they're hypocrites. And, you know, you know all the things. We, we, hypocrites are whatever somebody else, somebody else's sin. That's who's a hypocrite. We're, the truth of it is we're all hypocrites. It's interesting what Jesus says is a hypocrite. Jesus says... When you give and you don't do it out of the right heart, when you pray and when you fast. He keeps using that word hypocrite. We don't really like that because we don't like to do those. We don't do those very well, and we don't want to be called a hypocrite because we don't give or because we don't pray or because we don't fast. But it's interesting, Jesus uses just that term. Jesus says uh, that... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you give alms. You may be, it may be done in secret, and your Father in heaven will see you in secret and give you reward. Now, if you'll notice in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are multiple times where people gave publicly. We see it before the temple. As they were building the temple, they brought it all and um, brought it before the priest's feet. We see it in the apostles. There were times where they were public giving for pro- public purpose, and that, they would do that. But uh, we see also what happened when Ananias and Sapphira, even in that, Things didn't go so well for them. God's always looking for the right heart. And most of us struggle in public to have the right heart if we give very much. That's what it is, most of us. So he's saying, make sure you have the right heart. And you know what God's done for us today? we got something called giving online. You can give online and nobody knows. Except a lady in our church named Teresa Merritt, who most of you don't know who she is. And she'll be the only one who knows. And she won't come and give you a big pat on the back. And Jesus said, when you give... If you have to be seen, if people have to know, if you have to have recognition, then you're doing it for you. 
And you know how I feel about when we make church about us, worship about us. Forget how I feel about it. Think about how God, God says, hey, that's it, Bubba. You're done. He says, when you pray, again, when you give, indicating that you should give. When you pray, and he talks about praying. And you've seen the text here. We went through it last week. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites and go in, uh, into the street corners, into the synagogues. Now, does that mean we shouldn't be public praying? No, we know that's not true. We publicly pray. The problem was people who are publicly praying and not privately praying. Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite if your prayer is primarily public. If you're not spending more time in your closet than you are up front, then that's hypocrisy. You should be praying out of the overflow in your heart from your time with God, not some speech that you're making to impress people. So you're a hypocrite if you pray in public and you don't pray in private. Jesus makes it pretty simple. And then we come down to fasting. We see here in chapter 6, verse 16, and whenever, Jesus again saying, and when you do it, and when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I say to you, you receive the reward. I've shared this last couple of services. I remember I was one time at a church, and we were all the staff was supposed to, to um, fast. And for like a week, all we did was talk about it. Oh, I'm so hungry. My head hurts. That's what he's talking about. You know, I mean, we, we looked awful. We acted awful. We sounded awful. We should have just punted that thing before we started. But nevertheless, <laughs> it was of no good because that's all we could talk about. That's what our focus was. And that's not a bad thing to corporate fast. We, we see lots of corporate fast in the Bible. But Jesus says this. He says, uh, when you fast, put oil on your head. Basically, wash your hair and your face. Wash your hair and your face and get, put on some clean clothes, which is good advice really for any time in our life, but especially when you're fasting, okay? Take, the, take that face off and, and be realistic. Say, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and he will reward you. You know what I believe about fasting? I didn't read this. It wasn't in a commentary. This is just Ron. I believe that God encourages a fast, not because there's something magic about fasting. I mean, fasting is for the purpose of eliminating distractions and focusing in on Christ. But it's not that there's something magic about fasting. But I hear people all the time say, man, I'm so busy. I haven't had time. I just don't have time to study. I just don't have time to read Scripture. I don't have time to pray right now. I, you know, I can't give because I just don't have anything right. I mean, we're just, I'm spending everything I got right now. I think that's one of the reasons that God gave us fasting. First of all, if I fast for a meal, I got some time right there because most of you eat for at least 20 minutes. Looking at you, some of you eat longer than that. So <laughs> you eat less than 20 minutes. There's 20 or 30 minutes right there that you could pray. Okay? And there's, uh, that's, that's time that you could devote to your prayer life and to study of Scripture. And matter of fact, scripturally, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And I recognize with some of you with food, you go, hey, man, I'm diabetic, I got low blood sugar and this and that. Well, then maybe you could fast from media. What if you gave up Facebook for a week? <gasps> Don't tell me if you're on Facebook, you got no time. You got time. Some of you got too much time. 
I know you don't like that, do you? You're thinking, I, I got a blood condition. I can't. You got a Facebook condition too, probably. <laughs> or Twitter or Instagram or cable or NFL Network. Oh, no time to pray. There's time for Tony Romo. <laughs> I'm praying for Tony Romo today. That's where you're praying. Now you're a hypocrite. All right. That's the only thing you're praying for. So my mama taught me a good lesson. I'm 25 years old. I'm in seminary over in Southwestern. I'm living in a low-income apartment with two other guys. My whole rent's $110 a month. All bills paid. I'll tell you how nice it was. And I'm working two part-time jobs, taking all the hours they give me. And I'm um, going to school full-time. And I got a car note, got insurance, got my little apartment, got to pay my school. And food, that's all I got. But I get about four or five months into it, and I'm out of money. And I go, Mom, I call my mom. I said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not, I can't make ends meet. I'm, what I make, I'm, I'm working as many hours as I can, I'm going to school full-time. But I'm still about $75 short. So we talked about a bill. She goes, well, well tell me what, what about food. What are you doing? I said, Mom, I get up in the morning. I just eat cereal or oatmeal. And then it, it, when I go to seminary, it, I, I eat the cafeteria lunch over there. It's only $5. And then I come back, and I'll eat a sandwich. I'll eat turkey or bologna or ham. That's, that's all I have. She goes, uh, why don't you just start skipping lunch and just eating two meals a day? It made me so mad. <laughs> My mom was a sweet lady. She's a godly lady. Her daddy was a pastor. And she also grew up. Without, without anything. And so two meals, she'd done that before. But I've always had three meals. I need three meals. What do you mean, three meals? Five dollars. She goes, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I'd recommend. I got fun. I'm so mad at my mama. That was no good. I'm 25 years old. My mama won't send me money. What's wrong with her anyway? And you know what? I quit doing that and I was in the best health I've ever been. My cholesterol went down. And all of a sudden, I had $150 extra a month. I had $75 plus. Just skipping lunch. Now, you hear that and you go, well, that's just crazy. You know why that's crazy? Because you live in North Texas, in North Dallas. That's why it's crazy. If you went, you know these meals right here we send and we pack those kids in Haiti? This is what they eat for the day. One. Most third world countries, they do one. I was preaching last night, and one of these guys said, hey, I'm only doing two meals a day right now. It's not nearly as radical for them as it is for some of us. And some of us, when I said to him, I mean, I, I, he's just, he's crazy. A crazy preacher brings up, the, he wants me to skip a meal. Is he nuts? I got to eat. You know, it's not good for your metabolism. Now, I think you die if you don't eat three meals. <laughs> Let me tell you what, 80% of the world would be dead if you had to have three meals a day. Now, I have been trying to make up for that year of my life ever since. Sometimes I eat four and five meals a day. But um, the truth of it is, if you want to, you can. It's the spirit might be a little willing, but the flesh is very weak. And the flesh is saying, feed me. Feed me TV. Feed me Internet. Feed me food. Feed me whatever I want. God, I'm sorry, I just don't have time. I don't have money. And I, I just think God's got to be going, 
you know, I can put you in a position where it ain't so hard for you. Amen? Anybody got a testimony here? Not so hard now, is it? You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a couple of these guys, and they were sitting right where you were a few years ago. I know sometimes we think that, you know, we think everybody's different. Truth of it is, we're all the same. And God has chosen to bless, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the question is not whether you're going to experience blessings or whether you're going to experience suffering. The question is when, how are you going to handle it? And if I have prepared myself spiritually and I have nurtured myself, then I am prepared. But if I'm fat and lazy, I do like my brother. I'm going to pick on my brother Blake over here. He, he, he was giving testimony. I think he, he said, I kept, kept going to prison. I kept saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why do you keep sending me to prison? Well, because you keep doing drugs. That's why you keep going to prison. Wait, 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 wait. That's why you kept going. And we're the same way. Isn't that right? So some of you are very offended, and I'm glad you came today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to invite my brothers from Men of Nehemiah to come on up and give you a little encouragement. All right? God bless you. Well, we're the men of Nehemiah. We're always, we're always grateful to come out here and uh, visit with y'all. Y'all are like a second family. Y'all have really embraced the ministry. Uh, there's a, a few faces that I know very well, people that I know really love and, and spend their time and come down there and pour into us. Um, but the men of Nehemiah, it took its name uh, from the Old Testament, from the prophet Nehemiah. And the prophet Nehemiah was a man of prayer, Right? He believed in praying to God would change things. And he saw a need in his community, and the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. So he believed in positioning himself in prayer. And through that belief system, we all know that the, the walls had been they were restored. Well, we took the name Nehemiah because we believe that in our lives, the enemy had destroyed some of the spiritual walls. Had taken us out of position... And placed us in a situation where we needed to rehab our spiritual walls rebuilt. So we took the name Nehemiah, an awesome man of God. I, look up, I looked up to this guy, this guy, Louis Sorrell. Uh, he's very animated. But um, God knew that I needed someone like that to pour into someone like this. Because I couldn't identify with everything. And because I had been out of position for so long, I needed to be rebuilt by a peculiar person. And I love him to death. But the men of Nehemiah is a ministry that, 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 that rebuilds men, teaches them how to be men, teaches them how to be fathers, teaches them how to deal with life and the situations that we go through on a daily basis, and teaches us how to do this without self-medicating. And this place has been a blessing to me. It's been such a blessing. Not only has it been a blessing to me, personally, but it's been a blessing to my family because this is a family ministry. It focuses on the fathers. It focuses on the men. But if you know anything about how God has ordained this thing to be, if the man is not positioning himself under God, then it takes the whole family out of position. And this is a generation today, this is a generation that is being raised without fathers. So you're looking at the future right here. You're looking at men that God is restoring. You're looking at men that God is giving them, putting them back in the right position. 
You're looking at men that God is teaching how to be fathers. And this is an awesome, awesome thing. So we're just grateful to be here. We're grateful that y'all um, always invite us with a, a welcome smile. Y'all love us to death. I'm going to share real quick. Um, my name is Ty, Ty Choice. I grew up in Dallas. Um, um, here I go. My father was in prison. This is another thing I found out. My father's father was in prison. And my father's father's father didn't, was not in his life. So, of course, I found myself on the streets in rebelliousness. And my mother loved me to death. She was praying for me. And I remember at the very end there, she told me something, and it stuck with me. She said, son, God has a calling on your life. And either you're going to have a ministry in prison or you're going to have one out here. The choice is yours. (laughs) Now, I had been to prison a couple times, and I didn't want to be stuck in there with a life sentence praising God. But there are men and women that are in there right now praising the Lord. I just didn't want that to be my calling. And I can remember at the right time, God used that woman to speak into my life. And I seen an opportunity, and I took it. Three, three years later, man, God is doing an amazing thing in my life, man. Um, He's taught me how to be a father to my daughter. He's teaching me how to forgive my father. And he's teaching me how to become a man of God. Thank y'all. Hello. Good morning, Rock Point. Uh, You know, I just feel honored every time I get a chance to share my testimony. And uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, My dad was an associate pastor of the church that I grew up in. I was very plugged in. uh, One of the leaders of the youth group. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I preached at a halfway house in St. Louis, Missouri. And I felt God calling me into the ministry. Uh, When I was 18, uh, I went to Howard Payne University, and I was going to major in religious education to be a youth minister because I thought at the time that ministry meant being on staff at a church or being a missionary. And uh, at one time in my addiction, I lived in a trailer park. And none of the people that lived in the trailer that I lived in had a job. And so we ran an extension cord because we didn't have electricity to the house next door and plugged it in and we stole their power. And when I went to college, I realized that that's what I had done spiritually. That I had plugged into my parents' relationship with God and I hadn't developed one on my own. And so as The devil hit me with uh, the temptations of the world and stuff. I didn't have that base to fight them off. And I fell into uh, drinking a lot and smoking weed and later on in life, uh, heavy, more serious drugs. When I was 23, I went to the penitentiary for the first time. I've been in penitentiary four times, spent nine years of my life in prison. And like Pastor said earlier, the whole time that I was in prison, I kept saying, God, why are you having me go through this? But I clung to the verse in Philippians 1, 6, where it says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of Christ Jesus. And so I kept saying, one day God's going to pick up where he left off with me, and he's going to give me that ministry. And when I got to the men of Nehemiah, I realized that he never left off. 
Because I read down in verse 12 where he's talk, Paul's talking to the church of Philippi, and he says, I want you to know that the things which have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And I see now uh, that I've began to have my own personal relationship with God. And now God's revealing himself to me personally, and I don't have to go through my parents to have that relationship. And now I see that the only ministry positions aren't on staff at a church or in the mission field. That there's people that's been through what I've been through, that God can use what I've been through so that I can reach them for his gospel. And I thank Men and Nehemiah for putting me in, a, for allowing me to be in a position where God could take a country boy from East Texas and throw him in South Dallas. And I could find who I am in Christ in South Dallas, and I think that's amazing. Thank you, Colonel Lewis, for your faith. Hoorah. Hoorah. Men of Nehemiah, come on up here. Men of Nehemiah. How y'all doing, Rock Point? How y'all doing, Rock Point? Okay, check this out. I want to get to, first I want to say thank you guys. Thank you, Rock Point. And I said this in the earlier service. We were coming to be a blessing and to worship with you, but and it happened again during this second service. Our trip or our niche at the Men of Nehemiah is that God would rebuild the spiritual walls, Ty. I'm going to deal with you later for calling me peculiar. <laughs> Or we're peculiar people, huh? All right. Check this out. That God would rebuild the spiritual walls in men's lives so that we can be the spiritual leaders first and foremost in our families' lives. That's how communities and and cities and families are going to be taken back. Without men being godly men, it won't happen. Trust me. I got to come here today and see, I don't know, oh, Pastor, where's Pastor Ron? I got to see fathers baptized in their, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're the spiritual. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I got, I got all my throat swole up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to say this also in, in vain with that. Because I heard, I think it was last week, week before last, there were a couple of um, there were a couple of kids from Colorado that kind of joined the jihad or ISIS. You hear ISIS, ISIS. The promises of God are always to our seed. God said, "I'll be faithful through generations." Did you see those kids up there? Let me tell you something, because America, we all get, we start tripping and say, "Oh, we got to fight ISIS and all this stuff." The fight is a spiritual fight. For our seed. Those kids were from Colorado and they're in our own country and they're joining the struggle. Because if we as men of God don't define purpose and define God in our children's lives, somebody else will. The body of Christ, we have to define God's purpose in our kids' life. I thank God that you're doing it up here, Rock Point. Oh, my God, I was blessed this morning. Well, no, y'all doing it up, but we doing it down there, too. Amen. Amen. I love this relationship. Thank you, guys.